impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. Thank you for inviting me here to your beautiful state of California. The media still claims that Hitler rolled into Austria with tanks and guns and took us over. Not true at all. The fact is that the Austrian people elected Hitler by 98% of the vote by means of the ballot box. Now, how could that happen in a Christian nation almost 100% Catholic that they would elect a monster like Hitler. Hitler did not look like a monster. He did not act like a monster. He talked like an American politician. We will begin our open hearings uh, in the impeachment inquiry next week. The year was 1938. Austria was in a very, very deep depression. We had more than 30% unemployment, we had 25% inflation, and if you borrowed money from the bank, you paid 25% interest. That's why farmers were going broke, businesses were going broke, they could not pay their mortgage, or they could not pay their taxes. What was even worse, we had riots in our cities. We had whole blocks of the cities burned down, and our law enforcement was almost helpless. They could not control the riots. The unions were calling for strikes, and industry would close, and factories would close up, hence all this unemployment. It was not unusual in my home that 30 people a day would knock on the door for a bowl of soup and a slice of bread. They could keep themselves alive by going door to door. There were no jobs. They were young people, college graduates, no jobs. The media told us that in Germany, where Hitler ruled since 1933, they had full employment, they had a high living standard, and everybody was driving the little beetle car, the Volkswagen. We did not hear a whisper that anybody was being persecuted or arrested. We only heard good things. And of course, we spoke the same language. We spoke German. We had the same culture. There was only a border between us, Austria and Germany, like South and North Dakota. And we said, why not? We, we would like to have the same high living standard what Germany had, and of all the things, jobs. People wanted to work. Austrian people are not, are not lazy, they want to work. So, the Austrian people petitioned the government 
for a plebiscite for an election. And, and hence, the Austrian people elected Hitler by 98% of the vote. So we got a new government, National Socialism. I translate for you Nationalsozialismus from the word national, the word Nazi derived. So we were getting a Nazi government. Nobody was elected anymore from the school board, the city commission, the county commission, legislature and governors, they were, they were all appointed. Well, we thought they would only pick the very best people to govern us, just like in Germany, we trusted them. We did not ask question. So the first thing what happened, we had to carry national ID cards. You could not board a bus, you could not board a train without showing your national ID card. Don't ever let that happen here. Very bad idea. The next thing what happened, Hitler gave us free radios. Mm. So we could listen to him. He was a great orator. And then he nationalized the radio station. And we were warned if we would turn on a foreign radio station like British Broadcasting or Switzerland, death penalty. Nobody turned on a foreign radio, radio station because you know what the, what, what death, the death penalty meant. So the newspaper, before it hit the street, it was being censored by the government. So the only voice what we had was the government radio station and the government-controlled newspaper. Checking facts first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 A lot of new things happened very quick. Hitler gave us equal rights. Oh, that sounded so very good. Equal rights for everybody. Also, everybody was, was uh, getting a guaranteed income from the government. Others have suggested a minimum income for uh, a guaranteed income for people. Is that worthy of attention now? Perhaps so. The equal rights, here we call it the Equal Rights Amendment. Equal rights was designed in two components. Equality, economics, and social. Economics, that was designed to equalize the country's wealth because everybody was entitled to a guaranteed equal income. 
In order to achieve that, they had to raise our taxes up to 70% to equalize the wealth, those who were on the lower income level, to graduate them up there to an equal level. They got subsidized housing. They got food stamps. They got heating fuel. And they got a certain amount of payment from the government for each child. So they equalized the, the country's wealth by taxing us 70% to bring that label, the lower income level, into an equal level. And that is called socialism. Yes. On the social level, of course, under socialism, everybody has to be in the workforce. Before Hitler, of course, the moms stayed home. They were good wives, and they raised their families. But under socialism, if you are not in the workforce, you are called a parasite. So the moms were, putting, were being put out into the workforce. So what happened to the children? child care centers. Mm -hmm. You could, and they, it was all free for everybody. You could bring your four months old baby, leave it there 24 hours, um, seven days a week. As long as you left your child there, the better the government liked it. The staffers of the child care centers, they were not the grandmotherly type of women who took care of the children. They were young women, highly skilled in child psychology to mold the little babies from four weeks on up how, they want, how the government wanted them. The government raised our children. So that was the equality equal rights for everybody. The next thing would happened, education was nationalized. We had a very good educational system in Austria before Hitler. I went to public school. We had a very good curriculum. We even prayed in public school before class and after class. That morning, after the election, I walked into my classroom and the crucifix was gone. And the teacher said, this morning, we greet each other, Heil Hitler. And she said, we don't pray anymore. We sing Deutschland, Deutschland über alles, Germany above everybody. And she also said, we would not have twice a week religious education anymore either. We would have physical education instead. Oh, we did not mind that. It was a lot more fun to play ball than study the Bible or learn long prayers. She also said that on Sunday we could not go to church anymore because Sunday was compulsory National Youth Day. We had to attend at 8 o'clock in the morning to the gymnasium instead of going to church. 
The first two hours, we had political education. Today, I would call it political indoctrination. We were being told not to listen to our parents. They were just old-fashioned, old fogies. They did not understand the young people. Only Hitler did. So don't listen to your parents anymore. And besides, you had freedom and you had rights. So our parents could not tell us anymore when to come home at night. We could decide that for ourselves. The rest of the day we had sports. We got all the sports equipment free. We got tennis rackets, we got skis, everything. And the boys of age 16, they got motorcycles. And of course, everybody had to join the Hitler Youth. That was compulsory. So the rest of the day, we had sports and fun. So when we returned home at night, we told our parents how much fun we had and how much better it was and all the sports equipment we got free, much more fun than going to church. Well. My parents were very concerned, especially my mother. So when my next school term came about in October, she announced that she would enroll me in a private school with an excellent curriculum, but not much fun. <laughs> Off we went to the new school, high wall around, and a locked iron gate. And as I bid my mother goodbye at the gate, I almost hated her. <laughs> I thought she was going to put me into a prison. But she was a wise woman. She said, <clears throat> today you do not understand why I'm doing this for you. But when you grow up a bit, you will understand. Had my mother not intervened, Today, I would be a radical Marxist. So, on holidays, I could go back home for, for a visit. Of course, I was curious. I would go back to my former classmates and find out what was going on. I was shocked. 16-year-old girls were having babies for Hitler. And that was glorified. Oh, Hitler wanted a lot of babies. <clears throat> Blonde hair and blue eyes. The master race. I was shocked. So that was our educational system. <clears throat> Hitler also nationalized our car industry. Austria built a little car a little bit bigger than a Fiat. Hitler said, we don't need another little car. We already have the Beetle car, the Volkswagen. So he turned the car industry <clears throat> into a defense industry. Also, Hitler nationalized our banks. Hitler said, those greedy banks, they were the ones who charged 25% interest, and that is why the farmers were going broke, and the businesses were going broke, and he looted the Jewish banks. So our banks 
were being nationalized. Next thing, what happened? He nationalized our healthcare system. We had a, um, a reasonable good healthcare system, which was financed by private insurance. We had good hospitals, we had good doctors, and everybody was reasonable well being cared for. This all changed very fast. My brother-in-law, who was a family physician, he told me that when he arrived at his office at 8 o'clock in the morning, 40 patients would be lined up waiting for him to be cared for. He said it was like practicing medicine on a conveyor belt. He only had time, five or ten minutes pro patient, and besides all the paperwork, it, it was, it was a, a system from, from well taken care uh, health care to a very, very bad system. <clears throat> and what was even worse, he told me that naturally all the doctors were being salaried by the government. There was no more free market. Free market did not exist anymore. The government salaried all the doctors. So my brother-in-law was a very conscientious doctor. He would only prescribe medication what the patient really needed. But if that medication was not on the government's list, they took it out of his salary and his salary dwindled down to almost nothing. So a lot of doctors left the country. A lot of doctors left, including my own husband. My husband did not want to practice medicine like his brother had to. He wanted free market medicine. He came to this country, and I remember telling him, telling me, how wonderful our healthcare system was, how modern our hospitals were com compared what he left behind. He said, I hope it will never change. Today, he will turn over in his grave how healthcare will change. Also, of course, under a socialist government, you have a lot of rules and regulation. We had a planning agency that was designed to control the businesses and the farmers. The bureaucrats, oh, we had tons of bureaucrats. That's how Hitler created jobs, government jobs. Lot, a lot of bureaucrats. And they would go out on the farms and count the livestock and tell the farmers what to plant, how much to plant, and how much they had to harvest, regardless of the weather. They would go into the businesses and snoop around what they could find under the auspices of health and safety. Mm -hmm. Here we call it OSHA. They were nitpicking everybody, nitpicking everybody. And I hear that a lot of time from my audiences, how the bureaucrats 
come into their business and look, snoop around what they can criticize and what the business owner had to replace. And that's why a lot of businesses in Austria could not afford replacement, whatever, whether it was um, round tables versus uh, square tables <clears throat> and, and more bathrooms. So a lot of businesses closed their doors. Also, the bureaucrats would go out on the farms and count the chickens and order the chickens how many eggs they had to lay. That's right. Ridiculous. Absolutely, absolute ridiculous. Hitler wrote a book, Mein Kampf, My Struggle. He wrote in the book everything what he was going to do, that he was going to take over the world. But the Austrian people were so busy with athletics and sports, so very few people read the book. Had we read the book, we would have known what was coming. We would have known what was coming. Abortions were highly illegal. Hitler wanted a lot of babies, blonde hair and blue eyes, the master race. <clears throat> but when a couple was not 100% Aryan and the woman was uh, pregnant, she was forced to have an abortion. Hitler did not want any foreign blood, only the Aryan pure German blood. When the time came to pick your major in college, I wanted to be a journalist and writer. I was told they didn't need journalists, they did not need writers either. They needed young teachers. So I had to go into education. I did not mind that because I like children. So in my last year in college, I was sent to a small village in the mountains. So when I arrived in that village, I was told they had about 15 of mentally handicapped people. One man I know very well, <clears throat> he was the janitor in our school, Vincent. He could not read or write. He could not talk very well, but he kept our school clean. So one morning, I looked out of my classroom window, and there was a van out there from the health department. I thought, well, and all these people were being ushered into the van. <clears throat> so I asked my principal, where are they going to take Vincent and all the rest of the people. I thought maybe they take him for an outing for a picnic. The principal said, oh no, the health department came around and asked the parents if they want to institutionalize their son or daughter to learn how to read and write. Gladly the parents signed the papers and off they went. Six months later, the letters came to the parents that their son or daughter died a natural but merciful death. The news traveled very fast in that village. People said, well, 
they all left in excellent health, in good health. And why should they all die within six months? It dawned on the villagers that they were being euthanized. After the war, I found out that 20,000 children, handicapped children, were being euthanized. Hitler wanted perfect people. On a personal note, God forbid, should I ever become handicapped, I will never apply for a handicapped license plate <laughs> because I don't want to get on the list. Amen. And I know that under Obama's health care, we have eugenics. And that means those of us who are getting old, like me, I'm 87 years old, there is no more money for us. <clears throat> so that was euthanasia. We also had a federal police force, secret police, commonly known as the Gestapo, and they were everywhere in civilian clothes. You didn't know who they were. People disappeared all the time, and nobody knew where people were being taken. Nobody knew, but people disappeared. And the Gestapo, they watched everybody, everybody's coming and goings, because we had national ID cards, and of course you could not board a bus or a train without showing your national ID card. They keep track on us, and we were being so scared. The most scared of everything we were of the Gestapo, the secret police. This is how it worked. Since the war was going on, all our food was being rationed. We got one pound of sugar a month. So in, if somebody in your family passed away like grandma, you quickly took that coveted sugar coupon and went to the grocery store and bought that pound of sugar. The next day, the Gestapo would knock on your door and say, we know that you did not turn in the sugar coupon. You bought that pound of sugar, but I am not going to arrest you. But you have to inform on your boss, your neighbor, your friend, everybody you know, and report to our office once a week. They created a network of informers. We could not trust our neighbors. We could not trust our friends. We couldn't trust anybody. We couldn't trust the mailman. Nobody. We were afraid to talk to anybody, anything political, because we did not know who was informing on everybody. A network of informers they created. We need to make sure that everybody continues to let us know where those folks are. If you've observed recurring violations of the Safer at Home order, please continue to let us know at coronavirus.lacity.org slash business violation. You know the old expression about snitches? Well, in this case, snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. I believe it was in February 09 
I'm a lobbyist in our capital in South Dakota. And that morning I drove to our capital about around eight o'clock and I had the car radio on and the news was being reported. And there was President Obama saying, if anybody, if you hear anybody criticizing me, call the White House. Yep. Yep. When I arrived in the Capitol, I quickly want to ask some of, to verify, I asked some of the legislators if they heard the same story and they said yes. We also heard that. Can you imagine creating a, a network of informers, informing and call the White House? Yes, it's happening. We also had gun control. The government said that children were playing with guns and we had hunting accidents, people accidentally shooting each other, and we had criminals again, murderers. The only way that they could track the murderer was by the um, serial number of the gun. So bring your, your gun to the police station, then we can register the serial number and we can track the criminal. And we thought that was a good idea. So gladly we did that. Not long afterwards, they said no, it did not help. We could not track all the criminals. The best way to have no more crimes and no more people getting hurt, bring your guns to the police station and they already know who had guns because we registered our guns. Keep your guns and buy more guns and... <laughs> and stack up on, on your ammo. A gun is no good if you don't have any ammo. Dictatorship did not happen overnight. It took five years from 1938 until 1943, we had a full-blown dictatorship. Had we kept our guns, we would have fought a bloody battle to the last men and women to keep our freedom. But we had no guns. A classic example is, in Switzerland, it is law that everybody has to have a gun. And Hitler took every country in Europe except Switzerland. And Switzerland did not have a war for more than 600 years. Hitler never tackled Switzerland. So keep your guns. <laughs> keep your guns. <clears throat> The only information what we had, what the government provided for us, the, the, the nationalized radio station and the censored newspaper, nobody could get come in and nobody could get out. We had no information, none whatsoever. We did not know that we had concentration camps. We found that out after the Americans and the Allies liberated us that we had concentration camps and we were shocked. We were totally shocked. When the people fear the government, that's tyranny.
But when the government fears the people, that's liberty. We have to take our country back as we know it. And a good way is that we educate our friends, everybody. We have to take our country back as we know it. Those of us who sailed past the Statue of Liberty, we came to a country of unbelievable freedom and opportunity. America is the greatest country in the world. Amen. If we can keep it. If we can keep it. Things have changed so fast, so dramatically this year, that it's hard to remember what a very different country this was on New Year's morning. Back then, a little over seven months ago, the U.S. felt politically volatile. It definitely was. There was an election coming. But it still felt fundamentally American. There was no mistaking this country for any other country. We weren't Mexico or Luxembourg or Burundi. We definitely weren't China. Yes, most of our consumer goods did seem to be manufactured in Asia, but our way of life, our system, our society, seemed to be the very opposite of China's. The Chinese were enslaved. We were free. That was the difference, and it was permanent. It would never change. Not one in a thousand Americans doubted that. In January, for example, Dr. Anthony Fauci, at the time not yet a household name, did an interview with the Journal of the American Medical Association to talk about America's response to the Wuhan coronavirus. Fauci explained the authoritarian measures the Chinese government had taken to contain that virus. Then Fauci noted, almost offhandedly, that in America, none of that would be allowed. Watch. They've not only shut out the traffic out of Wuhan, planes, trucks, buses, ferries, rail, but they've done it to a number of the surrounding cities. So rather than say historically, it doesn't do much good, which is true, I think it's important to wait and see that maybe the Chinese, because of the state of their society, that they're able to do that. I mean, as you well know, there's no chance in the world that we could do that to Chicago or to New York or to San Francisco. As you well know, there is no chance in the world that we could do that to Chicago or to New York or to San Francisco. That's what Fauci said. Note his use of the word to. The Chinese government was doing these things to its people, not for them. In other words, these were punishments, not remedies. And none of that would ever be allowed here in a free country. It just couldn't happen in America. Fauci's words seem quaint now, like a fax machine or a black and white photograph. Fauci himself has since become one of the most strident advocates of a Chinese response to coronavirus, but he's hardly alone in that. Yesterday, the mayor of New York announced that he plans to erect armed checkpoints around the perimeter of the city and use plainclothes government agents to follow citizens to their homes. It would have been impossible to imagine any of that in January. Yet de Blasio's announcement didn't seem especially shocking. We're used to it now. That's how similar to China we have become. It's a big change. But like all seismic shifts, it happened incrementally before it happened overnight. For years, we watched our leaders prostrate themselves before the Chinese government. Most of us just assumed they were greedy. That's why they were doing it. China was paying their bills, so they bowed. We never imagined they actually admired the Chinese system. Oh, but they did. And that became clear with the arrival of the coronavirus. 
The first tip was their resolute refusal to admit where the virus came from. When strong evidence emerged from Chinese scientists that the disease originated in a lab in Wuhan, our leaders immediately and adamantly dismissed it as a conspiracy theory. They didn't want to know more. Their first instinct was to defend China. They didn't want the Chinese system discredited. That seemed confusing, but we soon learned why. The Democratic political activist Zeke Emanuel was among the first to reveal how the left planned to use the pandemic to change the United States. Here he is on MSNBC four months ago this week. Realistically, COVID-19 will be here for the next 18 months or more. We will not be able to return to normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective medications. Is all that economic pain worth trying to stop COVID-19? The truth is, we have no choice. Oh, the truth is, we have no choice. Except in a democracy, we always have a choice. That's why it's different from an autocracy. In a democracy, on the big questions, the public gets to decide what the public wants. The people rule. That's the whole point of the American system. But the left had no plans to let the public decide anything. So instead, they issued resolute decrees. Remain at home. Wear a mask. Do not congregate with others. No one asked voters what they thought about any of this. Democracy played no role in it. The orders came down. Men with guns enforced the orders. The government used sophisticated technology to track down anyone who disobeyed them, just like in China. Here's Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. This has really been marvelously embraced by 99.9% of people. We see it in the traffic data. We see it in the cell phone data. But we're going to hunt down that last 0.1% and say, you got to get inside, you got to cut it out, and you got to distance. Oh, most people obey, but, quote, we're going to hunt down the last 1%. In other words, no dissent of any kind allowed, just like in China. In China, the government loads disobedient citizens into trucks and carts them away. We have video of that happening. In Los Angeles, they just starve you out. They take away your water and your electricity. These large parties are unsafe and can cost Angelinos their lives. That is why tonight I am authorizing the city to shut off Los Angeles Department of Water and Power Service in the egregious cases in which houses, businesses, and other venues are hosting unpermitted large gatherings. Recognize that? In some ways, all authoritarian societies are the same. They are characterized by corruption, a lack of social trust, and a deep cynicism about government. All those attitudes are endemic in China. Suddenly, they are nearly universal in this country. The public understands that our leaders are lying to us. Politicians use lockdowns for political ends. In the name of public health, they reward supporters and they punish their opponents. They're barely hiding this anymore. They've done it since day one, but most of us wrongly assumed that our Bill of Rights would prevent them from going too far. That was our backstop against tyranny, but we were wrong. The Bill of Rights has not prevented them from doing precisely what they want to do. In state after state, governors, for example, have targeted the faithful on the assumption that most traditional Christians do not vote Democrat, therefore they must be punished. Now, banning the exercise of religion is unconstitutional. Obviously, it's a direct violation of the letter and the spirit of the First Amendment. It's never happened before, but they have made it happen. They've done it anyway. As in China, our government has enthusiastically persecuted Christians. Here's New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy explaining. 
you have closed church services and synagogue services and arrested people for attempting to attend them. Did anyone say that maybe practicing your faith might be important to someone's mental health? Listen, I think we've had a very good, uh, uh, good common ground with faith leaders of literally every faith who understand this. So listen carefully. Governor Murphy says he has reached agreement with those faith leaders who, quote, understand this. He doesn't say anything about the faith leaders who, quote, don't understand this. The leaders who'd instead like to worship their God as the Constitution guarantees they can't. There's no common ground for them. They will be arrested just as they are in China, nor can they fight back. In a free society, self-defense is the most basic right. All other rights rest upon it. Self-defense is illegal in China, and suddenly it's illegal in this country, too. The Democratic Party's militia loot stores, deface our cities, attack people with impunity. They are rarely punished for doing it. Yet Americans who try to protect their families from the violence face the full rage of the state. They risk going to jail. They have been indicted. As in China, there are now two standards of justice. The party has decided who can be armed. Everyone else must submit. It wasn't always this way in the United States. In fact, until recently, we had a functioning constitution. But anyone who remembers that is a threat to the state. History itself is a threat to the state. In China, there is no history. Like religion, the past is purely a political tool to be shaped by temporal leaders seeking to protect their power. In place of God, the state offers secular cults in which citizens worship party-approved political martyrs. Doesn't sound very American, but suddenly it is. We are here to honor George Floyd. For those who wish to, we will now kneel for our moment of silence. Anyone who challenges the cult, who refuses to join it, who won't kneel before it, is punished. And then their complaints are scrubbed from the permanent record. China does this. Chinese censors scour the internet to make certain dangerous ideas never reach the public. Does that sound familiar to you? That's where our tech oligarchs learned it. The United States, in other words, very clearly is becoming very much like China at very high speed. And in China, they understand that countries in which the population is divided against itself, countries in which citizens have nothing meaningful in common with one another, are weak countries. And over time, countries like that are doomed. And so China emphatically rejects identity politics. It's illegal there. Leaders in China don't narrow caste to tiny constituencies based on their, quote, identity. The idea is appalling to them. The Chinese focus instead on national identity. They don't worship diversity, they promote unity. And that's why long-term, they believe they will win. The Chinese also believe, and this is another striking difference, that their economy is worth saving. They didn't destroy it with coronavirus quarantines, harsh as they were. Unlike the United States, China was a poor place until fairly recently. And so they know firsthand that poor countries are powerless, and they don't want that. In other words, the Chinese care about themselves, and their future. And that's one thing we could actually learn from them. America is the greatest country in the world Amen. if we can keep it. Keep it.